Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. So I am really excited about tonight and about the topic that we're going to to speak about and uh, one of the things that makes me so excited as well whenever there's an issue that we need to address or a truth that we need that needs to go out now God's word is always true in every situation and there's ways that we can apply it but sometimes you know you're hitting the nerve of what the enemy is trying to do in situations and then you feel the resistance a couple of days even before you get to the sermon and normally I always thought to myself well this isn't great this isn't great at all I don't like this but now whenever it happens it gives me a little bit more excitement for the word that God wants to share because I know that there's a resistance there's something that the enemy doesn't want us to understand or to get or to grasp or to shift and tonight we are speaking about hope the God of hope And in the times that we are living in, I I think everyone can agree with me, it's important for us to address this topic. And I'm sure that everyone sitting here, the only thing you want to know is, why am I so full of hope? Hope is just flowing out. I just want to know why. Am Am I right? Am I wrong? Just making a joke. It's confusing times. You may laugh in church. But before... I dive in and maybe make a, another bad joke or so. Let me just open for us in prayer and then we dive right in. Thank you, Lord, that we can come before you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God of hope, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the circumstances that we are going through, Father. Strange thing to say, Lord, but the Bible says rejoice when you go through trials and tribulations, Father. Let the church rejoice. Knowing, Lord, that the good God is working all things to the counsel of his will, Father, and you are producing faith and you are producing fruit, Lord. And you are building your church, Lord. And yes, Lord, may we be steadfast, Father, immovable, Lord. And I pray, Lord, also for us as a church, Lord, the scripture says whenever we go through trials, Lord, whenever we go through suffering, Father, that one of the things, Lord, that always seem to come up is perseverance. May we produce perseverance, Lord, to persevere, Father, to do what you've called us to do, Lord. And thank you, Jesus, that you set the example for us, Lord. And whatever we go through, Lord, we know, Lord, that you don't understand it a little bit. You went through it most, Father. You don't share in our sufferings, Lord. We share in yours, as Scripture says. Thank you, Lord, that you came and laid down your life for us, that we might know you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are always working to reveal the Son. You might know him better, Lord, for we have received the Spirit of God that we might freely know the things given us by God. And I pray for a revelation, Lord, of hope tonight, and that we might shift our hope where it ought to be, Lord, and that is placed in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to speak a bit about hope. And the interesting thing about hope for me is that whenever we read through Scripture, it is something that is assumed of God's people. He doesn't ask whether you are hopeful. He doesn't ask, you know, do you have hope? Yes, 
They pray that they might have more hope. Yes, they encourage them to hope more. Yes, they say that hope doesn't put to shame. And yes, they pray, may God fill you with all hope and may the Spirit allow you through His power to overflow with hope. But it still assumes hope. You know, in the Old Testament, we get that saying, you know, return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. You cannot escape hope. You are prisoners of hope. Keer terug na jou vesting toe, jou gevangene van hoop. And in scripture, we're going to read through 1 Peter 1, and it deals a lot about hope. Addresses a lot of questions where our hope should be rooted in, the source of our hope, the subject of our hope, where it is aimed at. And in that same book, in chapter 3, verse 15, Peter makes a statement and he says, Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to give an answer for those who ask for the hope that is in you. Again, he doesn't say for those of you who have hope, please do some diligence. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. And for those who have hope, please give a reason for the people, for the hope that is in you. No, no, no. He's writing to the church. Give a reason for the hope that is in you. It's something that is assumed of the church. That there is hope. And yes, we, we misplace our hope many times. We lack in hope sometimes. Yes, we get a little bit fearful. We get a little bit anxious. But hope's supposed to be there. It's supposed to be constant. It's supposed to take us into a certain direction. And we want to do that as well tonight. You know, we want to see what the Bible has to say about hope, what the source of our hope and the subject of our hope should be. But we also want to prepare ourselves to give a reason for the hope that is in us. It says that doesn't say give a Christian cliche for the hope that is in you. Give reason. Give reason to those who ask. Think it through. Because the Bible will give us answers to how we can answer the people that come with those questions. But before we dive in, I want to ask us a question. How are you doing hope-wise at the moment? How is your hope levels? That little bar, signal bar and battery bar that your phone has. If you were to have one of those on your forehead of hope, where would it be at the moment? And to help us, you know, because we many times so stuck in this idea of busyness and running around and answering people. And you know, I like what Garmer says. We were speaking about salvation the other day and the problem of sin. And he says we have to understand that mostly people can't even ask us how it's going and we start to lie. Because we don't give the full truth to the people who ask how it's really going with us. And we struggle to be honest with ourselves sometimes as well. So to maybe give us a bit of, of help when it comes to hope and where it is. There's certain things that go with hope. That is joy. That is faith. It goes with hope. As we'll see when we go through the scripture as well. These things always go together. Scripture says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not yet seen. And I cannot say I have a lot of hope. Yet my joy isn't, isn't there. I can't say I have a lot of hope but I'm just not having faith for tomorrow goes together and then contrary to that fear anxiety depression we can have a little bit of fear and a lot of hope that makes sense but we cannot have a lot of fear and a lot of hope at the same time we can be a little bit anxious and still have a lot of hope but we can't be anxious all the time and have a lot of hope we can't be de completely depressed and still have a lot of hope fearful for tomorrow yet hopeful Sounds like 
cool Christian cliche that we can make up, but it won't help anybody. Just don't go together. So in light of that, if you were to consider that, how are you doing hope-wise? And something that we also have to define is what does hope mean? Because the way the world uses hope and the way we should use hope as Christians differ. It's not the same thing. Whenever the world expresses the word hope, it is a wish based upon uncertainty. That's why we use the word hope, because it's uncertain. I really hope that I get that job. I really hope that I get elected for that team. I really hope I don't get sick. I really hope lockdown ends. I really hope a fourth wave doesn't come. It's a wish based upon uncertainty. Both the source and the subject, uncertain. And another thing with worldly hope is it gets you know, pulled into directions by our desires. The desires that we have lead to the hopes that we have. Sometimes biblical, sometimes not. Not all of the desires and passions within us is given us by God. Like it says in the book of James, why are you fighting with one another? Why are you arguing? Is it not because your passions are at the war within you? And you pray and you ask, but you do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your own passions. That war within us. It's like I say, I hope that guy gets a pain in his. Worldly passions and desires that lead to certain outcomes that I have. A wish based upon uncertainty. Like something that is not uncertain these days is for the Springboks to win rugby. You know, that's not a wish based upon uncertainty. That's a fact. We should just accept that. We don't hope that they will win. But we hope that they will start to play a bit more beautiful rugby. You with me? Begin more But they will win. To give you guys that idea. Now there is a problem with worldly hope. The wish based upon uncertainty. If we want to be real optimistic, we can say that there's a 50-50 chance of it happening or not happening. If we're really optimistic. And obviously there's a problem with that. We'll see what scripture says in a moment, but what happens when hope is delayed? What happens when hope is deferred? What happens when hope doesn't realize? What happens? Look at what scripture says. In Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And again, they're speaking about the desires that we have, leading to the hopes that we have. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Makes me a little bit more anxious, makes me sad, makes me think a a little bit more critical about things that I should not think about like that. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And in the season that we are living in, many people are continuously encountering hope that is deferred. Hope that is delayed. Hope that doesn't realize. I mean, we all hoped that we would only be in lockdown three weeks. Here we still are. Really hope the church doesn't close down again. Really hope we can go back to full capacity. I really hope things get back to normal. I really hope I keep my job. I really hope that loved one doesn't get sick. I really hope that loved one gets better. And every single time, hope deferred. makes the heart a little bit more sick. And we don't encourage that hope, if you are wondering. But there is one that does. There is someone that encourages this hope and he wants you 
to put your hope in hopeless things. The ancient serpent, the enemy. See, because in the same book, and we'll get to that a little bit later in the year, chapter 5, verse 8, Peter writes, I want you to be aware, be sober, that your enemy, the devil, is walking around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. Do not be misled. There is an enemy, and he wants you to put your hope in hopeless things. And immediately we realize something that we'll have to contend for hope. It's not something that will come automatically. And it's like, I can't remember who the guys that said this, but with social media and everything happening around us. You know, if you read a newspaper, or if you don't read a newspaper, you are uninformed. If you read one, you are misinformed. <laughs> That's the world we are living in. Continuously giving us stuff and things. Hope deferred. Hoping for better life and a better world. But scripture says the world will get a little bit worse. Every single day. And that's why we need to encourage one another to love in good works. All the more we see the day drawing near. That is worldly hope. That is why David writes, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. Hope in His word. He's busy fighting for His hope. He's busy contending for biblical hope. And as we'll see when we turn to biblical hope now, it's not a wish based upon uncertainty, but it is the inevitable outflow of faith placed in God. There can be no other thing that it produces. Well, a lot of other things, but that thing for sure. Love also gets produced when we place our hope in God. So let's read together 1 Peter 1 from verse 3 to 21. It says the following, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of even greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear, for you know that it, is, it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Wonderful passage of scripture. Next week we'll look a little bit more on the second half of it. 
But we also just now read, but what happens when I place my hope in God? How does it play out? How does it influence my life? How does it influence my way of thinking? How do I prepare in light of that? But one thing we quickly have to note now, one of the things that this passage says here, it says there in verse 17, it says here, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Foreigners. When Peter writes to the church, he says, you foreigners of the dispersion or pilgrims of or the dispersion or sojourners of the dispersion. Not meaning that they are uh, foreigners to the people that they live. We are foreigners here on earth. We are only here for a little while. And to ask the question, you know, who of you here has been overseas for holiday? Any hands? See who to make friends with. Come and see me afterwards, we'll speak about December. <laughs> but another question for those of you who went overseas for holiday. Who of you, when you went to visit the other land, sold your house here, bought the houses there, and also took all your belongings with, and also all of the finances that you have? Anybody? Doesn't make sense, because we understand the principle, I'm not living for that land. I don't live there, I'm not, I, I don't belong there. Why would I take all my stuff there? Why would I invest all that I have there? I'm only going to be there for a little while. It's the same idea scripture gives us. Did you go see the sights? Yes. Did you enjoy the culture, the food, the music? Did you smell the flowers? Yes. Do that. See the beautiful things that God gave. Have the friendship that he gives. Smell the flowers. See the sights. But don't live for the land. Something important that Scripture teaches us here. But we'll get to, to that next week. But important for us to understand as we go through this. And also important to understand when it comes to answering the question for the hope that is in us. In the midst of a world that looks like it looks. Answering that question, why do you have this hope within you? Secondly, we see here, the moment we believe in God, our faith and our hope is in God. So both the source and the subject of our hope shifts from uncertainties to certainty. All of a sudden, the source is certain. It is God himself. All of a sudden, the subject is certain. It's life with him forever. That is a promise he gives. And that promise and my faith is guarded by God, the one who gives it. Look at what scripture says here in verse 3 to 5. Praise be to the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Live for that. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So in other words, our source is God and the subject is hope with God. To explain this idea of source and subject, if I were to say worldly hope example, I really hope my dad buys me a car. Then the source of that hope is my dad. He's the one that should make this happen. The subject of my hope is the car. That is what I really long for. You know, some of us sitting here, without you realizing it, you are the source of a lot of hope going around, relationships, making it or not making it, someone wanting a car or a bike or whatever, just note that. 
but it is uncertain. But now all of a sudden it shifts to certainty. My source of my hope is God himself. And the subject of my hope is not something I thought up. You know, we didn't come up with the idea of a better world with God one day. He said he will make that happen. He said he will come back for us. He said he will wipe away every tear. He said sickness and death will be no more. And we will be with him forever. But he will not leave us as orphans. That is the promise of God. And all of a sudden it is certain. You see, hope is faith aimed at the future. When I look back at how good God was for me by sending his son to die for me, I can know for certain that that is how good he will be for me. But it is a certain thing. It is based upon the character of God that is what gives it that certainty. And the moment that is my hope, then I can go through pain and suffering. Then circumstances can change and my hope does not shift. My hope does not decrease. But it remains steadfast. Why? Because the source and the subject of my hope remains constant. No matter what happens around me, that will still remain certain. Look at what Scripture says here in verse 6 to 8. It says, In all this you, regret, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I like how, how Scripture just gives the reality of things. I don't know if you've ever felt like that when you go through suffering a little while. It doesn't feel like a little while. But Scripture says, For a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And it gives the reason for it. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not now seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Again, their joy abound, hope abounds, faith abounds. And in light of this, we need to test ourselves again and ask, but how is my hope doing? And do I have biblical hope? Because if my circumstances change and my hope levels decrease drastically, then I have misplaced my hope drastically. Like my wife says, many times we hope in hopeless things. It inevitably leads to hopelessness. The hope that is continuously deferred. Yeah, and many times we, we have a bit of worldly hope, but we try and attach God to the worldly hope. don't know if you know what I mean. There's a certain thing that I desire. It's not a promise of God. It's not a certainty. And with that, I'm not saying do not strive to the things that God has called you to. He's given you certain passions and desires. Work for that with all means. Ask Him for that. Trust Him for that. But don't place your hope in that. Work towards it. But hope in God. Hope in His Word. Hope in what's certain. You see, so many times we hope in other things and we try to just attach God to the hope. I really want this thing and if prayer will help, then I'll do that too. And if you're with me. Many times we do that. But when we truly have biblical hope, everything around us can shift around, but that hope will remain constant. And in light of that, the world comes and asks, hey, why do you have this hope? And like, if you just... Look at the question, why will the world come and ask, why do you have a hope? Because there will be a lot of hopeless situations. People whose hope has been deferred constantly. And they are hopeless and here you come. And they ask, why do you have this hope within you? 
And we have to understand it for the context that we live in. And in this context of pain and suffering, of trials, the people come and they ask, why do you have this hope within you? And what's the answer? I believe in God. God is constant. And what's the question we get back? How can you believe in a God if there's so much pain and suffering? And what we need to ask ourselves in light of that question, because that's the question doing the rounds, how do we give a reason for the hope that is in us? And that question is based and asked for the God of the Bible, no other God. Why? Because our God is almighty. Our God is all-knowing. And our God is love. He is not loving sometimes, He is love. You see, there's other ideas of God that is love, but He's not almighty, so He can do anything about the problem. Is God, concept of God that is almighty, but He's not a God of love, so He doesn't need to do something about the problem. But our God is almighty, all-knowing, righteous, just, and love. So that question is aimed at our God. And how do we defend that? Easy, by getting to the question. See, there's two problems with the question, two assumptions that it makes. That is wrong assumptions. The first assumption is that the definition of love is an ecocentric, man-centered love. That is not the definition of love. Like they say, the utilitarian God concept, a useful God. We many times think of God as a useful God. As long as He can make sure that my life go as I planned it, then I'll believe in Him. Then He must be good. But by definition, we are asking God not to be God. We are placing ourselves in the seat of God. If He can do what I want, then I'll believe He's God. But the moment He does that, He's no longer God. Because God does as He pleases. Like Scripture says, no one can thwart His purpose. He works all things to the counsel of his will. He doesn't simply allow pain and suffering, he works pain and suffering to the counsel of his will. You see, the love of God is firstly aimed at the glory of God and for our ultimate good, not our temporal pleasures. That's not what the love of God is aimed at. You see, if I were to Tell God, Lord, if there's two roads and the one is just easy, breezy, you know, just comfortable as can be. No gravel roads. But the end destination is not a life with you. Then I do not desire that road for me or my children. But if we need to go through everything this life can throw our way, but the end result is glory unto you and a life with you, then for me and my children, let it be so. Let it be so. Not easy to live out, easy to say, but let it be so. See, the second thing that they assume of that question is that a loving God can bring no good out of pain and suffering. We know as Christians that is also not true. A loving God works all pain and suffering together for His good and for the good of those who love Him. You see, as I was reading through the story of Job as a couple of years ago and also on wrestling with this question yeah, but how can this be Lord what is going on here and at the end God also doesn't answer Job's questions he gives him a revelation of who God is where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth 
And Job receives a revelation of God. And I realize, you know, in that same time, my brother goes through a rough patch. He comes to salvation. How many people turn to God when they have nothing else? And I realize, what a gracious, loving thing when God removes all that we have so that we can see what we have in Christ alone. What a loving thing. What a gracious thing. For Him to come and remove all this stuff so that I can see what I have in Christ alone. Look at what C.S. Lewis says. He says the following. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. But our God gives purpose to the pain and suffering. The moment we remove God, all pain and suffering has no purpose. It is meaningless. It's like Richard Dawkins says, the famous atheist. Someone goes through pain and suffering, what's your response in the light of believing that there exists no God? He says, I simply tell them that's their problem. That's the only thing we can do. But we have the answer for the hope that is in us. That is that our God will work all things together for the good for those that love Him. And we see this in Scripture, the story of Joseph. His brother sells him into slavery, gets thrown into prison, he goes through a lot of stuff. And we don't have a lot of compassion of Joseph. Why? Because we know what is going to happen. That is how God looks at the world right now, if you were wondering. He also knows what's going to happen. And we're just like, Joseph, chill, buddy. You're going to be second in command any time now, and you're going to save a lot of people from dying. This is a good thing. But he didn't know that. And at the end, he says to his brothers, because his brothers are scared, you intended it for evil. The responsibility of man still remains. We cannot shift that simply to God, but we are still responsible for the evil that we commit. But God intended it for good. That many lives would be saved. But God works all things together for the good. Yes, purpose in the pain and the suffering. We read in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4, it's not on the board. But then it also says, we share in Christ's suffering. Meaning that the God we serve is also not distant from the suffering. He's not, hey, you guys experience that and I'll sit here and watch. No, no, no. He suffered most of all. Took upon him the sins of the world so that we might know him and be with him one day. And scripture says that the more we suffer, the more we share in his suffering. And the more we share in his comfort so that we can also comfort those who mourn. Again, purpose in the pain. I know why I have this hope within me in the midst of everything going around. And a lot of other things that God works through pain, we can spend weeks going through them. Perseverance built, faith built. No better thing that we can ask for to God to come and build faith. That is why scripture literally means it. They don't joke when they say, count it all joy when trials come your way. It's true, they really mean it. Rejoice. I don't think I've ever done that once. don't know if any of you here literally said, yes. This is not going to be nice, but we're going to build some faith now. But Scripture expects that of us. He says, shift your mind, shift your way of thinking. You know, a couple of weeks back, we were at a high school speaking about hope as well. And I, as I was preparing, I told the, the guys in front of me as well, yeah, I know that most people your age don't think like this. 
They're concerned with other temporal worldly things. Now where worldly hope is based. In the realm of the temporal, all uncertain. And as I was preparing for us in the week, a little bit of a more mature audience in age, I realized that we still do the same. We also don't get it quite right just to shift that mentality. To know that I don't live for you. To really count it joy because I know that faith is going to be built and my inheritance will be greater one day. And if I lose everything but I gain a greater revelation of God, then yes, Lord, let it come. Difficult to just shift that mentality and to think as Scripture wants us to think. So that is how we answer the question. And now in the light of all of this and all that God is doing, because He was the one doing all the work, He gave us the grace to be born again to a living hope. He sent His Son to die. He gave us grace so that we might be saved into a living hope. He's the one guarding our inheritance and he's the one guarding us by his power. And in the midst of all of that, God says there's one action point that he wants to give us. It's found here in 1 Peter 1 verse 13. It says, therefore, because of all that God is doing, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in the Greek, it speaks of girding up the loins of your mind. Girding up the loins of your mind. To illustrate what that looks like, the Israelites did that when they ate the Passover before they left Egypt. Whenever they prepared to go somewhere, they wore robes and dresses and long clothing, belt around their waist, and as they were to set out, they take the dress or the, or the, the, the garment, they pick it up and they put it into their belts so that it doesn't hang around, so that they don't trip over stuff, so that it doesn't hinder them as they're going to follow where God is leading at the moment. God is asking us to do that with our mind. He says, get your mind together. That anxiety, that fear, that misplaced hope, bring it together. That worry about worldly things that the people are so focused on in the midst of COVID and all that we are facing, get your mind together. What are those things that the enemy wants you to trip over? Get it together and set that hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed when Jesus Christ comes back. Don't place an ounce of hope on anything else. Don't let anything take up space in your mind. Set your hope fully. Get your mind together. And in the context that we live in, you know where you are at and what you are facing and what you are going through. And the question is, what are the things that the enemy wants you to trip over in this season? What is hindering you from placing your faith in God? Because get that together. If it's simply a worldly hope, just repent of that and take that to Jesus again. Lord, I repent of this thing, of this misplaced hope, of this anxiety and fear of all these things. We shouldn't fear. There's one thing we should fear. And that is the Father that judges impartially. So live out the time of your exile in fear. Knowing that we will have to give account. A good fear to have. Not a pleasant one. But a biblical one nonetheless. That is the only fear we should have. I want to end off with Romans 15 verse 13. And this is in the midst of a context... Nero Caesar being emperor of Rome, putting live Christians on poles, dipping them on oil and setting them on fire. 
to give nightlight to the streets of Rome. That is in this context that Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where is the key here? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit as you trust in him. Again, consider all of those areas that the enemy wants you to trip over, that he's leading you to misplace your hope, fear and anxiety. Bring that area back. Place that trust in Christ so that you can overflow with joy and hope. Let's stand tonight and then we end off in prayer. Yes, Lord, thank you, Father, that we can come together as a church, Lord, and we want to repent, Lord, as Mkharat said this morning as well, Father, how often, Father, we forget, Lord, the greatness of our God. Because the moment, Lord, we forget who you are, Father, any one, Father, of your great attributes, Lord, your character, Father, and we forget, Lord, you are holy, you are just, you are almighty, Lord, you are all-knowing. You also love, Lord. Then we don't misplace our hope, Father. And again, Father, we ask for a greater revelation of who you are. For all that is tired, Lord, heavy burdened by the things of the world around us, Lord. Like Jesus said, in the context of that, come to me and I will give you rest. And just before that, Lord, the scripture says, nobody knows the Father except the one to whom the Son reveals him. Lord, That is what we need, a revelation of who you are. And yes, Lord, we ask you to come and graciously show us, Father, the way we have misplaced our hope, Lord. Where we are anxious, Lord, where we are fearful, Father. Where we are depressed, Lord, so that we can gather that areas of our mind and set it fully on the hope that is to be revealed, Lord. To know, Father, that we're not living for the year now. And although it doesn't feel like it, Father, you say now for a little while, we have trials. But for a long while, Lord, eternity, we will have the most precious gift, Father, that we could ever ask for, Father, and that is you yourself. Life with you, Lord. And yes, fear will disappear, Lord. Pain will disappear. Every tear will be wiped away. Sickness and death will be no more, Father. But you are the greatest reward. And yes, Lord, I come and pray, Father, for us as a church, Lord, to come and do some introspection tonight, Father. To really dig deep, Father, and for you to come and show us, Father, where our hope is, where it's at. And then secondly, to go out, Father, into a broken world, Father, and to go and give reason for the hope that is in us. And that is that a good God is working all things together for His ultimate glory, but also for my eternal good. Because when I look back and I see the cross of Christ, I know that my God has given us all things. If He gave us His Son, how much more will He not give us all things, Scripture says. That is the goodness of my God. That is the love He has for me. And when I look forward and I see that He has an inheritance for me, that He is guarding by His power and that He is keeping my faith alive. And that I know that even now He is good to me.
Thank you, Lord, that our hope is not based on Christian cliches, Lord, but it is rooted, Father, in you, for the steadfast, immovable. Hope does not put us to shame. Biblical hope, Lord, rooted in you. Because you will never fail, Lord. You will never let us down. And we repent, Father, of the areas where we feel like you have, Father. Misunderstanding, Father, worldly focus and purpose. Looking at temporal things. Come and teach us, Lord, to shift our focus. To gather our mind, Lord, and to set our hope fully on you. And when you come back, Lord. Thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen.